0: the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though, for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we are God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the faith, through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Good morning, church.
1: It's good to see you all here. I know it's been mentioned before how beautiful the singing is when you're sitting up towards the front. And I just wanted to express that again today, because normally I'm sitting over at the back. But you know, it made me think that uh, that's what we are commanded to do, is to sing. And we're to sing together. We don't have to be professionals either. And I'm a musician, so I play instruments, but you know what? You don't need them to praise God. The singing is wonderful, and it sounds beautiful. Thank you for all singing. Praises to our God. My topic as part of the Jesus and Song series is My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. So I wanted to start by talking about hope for a few moments from Romans chapter 5. Ray read to you, and it says, you know, the new international version, I use the new American Standard Version from which I will be quoting. But I like the word in the New American Standard Version that says that we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And when we talk about hoping, it's not the kind of hope that's, I hope I'll win the lottery. I remember one time someone saying to me that their hope or their plan for retirement was winning the lottery. And I try not to use the word luck in my conversation. I prefer to use the word blessing, but I think in this case I'll make an exception. If that's your plan for retirement, good luck. (laughs) You see, we need to realize what biblical hope is. And when we talk about biblical hope, it's for those who have become Christians, who have placed their hope in Christ, who have obeyed the gospel. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying to yourself, well, you know, I have attended church for a year or two years or five years, but I don't know if I've really ever obeyed the gospel, then let me tell you, you haven't. Because when you obey the gospel, when you are born anew of the water and the spirit, it's something that you make a decision about. And it's something that you will not forget. One of the great benefits of Christian hope is that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5 and verse 1. You've probably heard an expression if, you're, if you've lived 25 or 30 years. You've probably heard this expression. You can take it to the bank. And that expression basically is talking about being able to depend on the truthfulness of a statement. It is not counterfeit or bogus It means you're able to bank on that particular statement, that it is absolutely true. So you can take this to the bank. Hope does not disappoint. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. So, let's begin by talking about, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood, which equals his death. I didn't get to go to kindergarten. I started school at the age of six in a one-room country school, grades one to eight, with one teacher. And one of the things I learned pretty quick in mathematics is one plus one equals two. Never equals one and a half, never equals three. One plus one always equals two. Doesn't matter what language you say it in, that's always true. And so, the fact that Jesus plus his blood that was shed on the cross equals his death, that is absolutely true. And so, we're going to talk about that for just a moment. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. And to do that, he had to give up his life. In Romans 17, verse 11, in the law, it is said For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And so I want to talk about the sacrifices of animals, the shedding of blood. And that's not a pretty sight. I grew up on a farm, and we raised animals as part of our food. And I never enjoyed in the fall when my father would tell me and my brother that this particular Saturday we were going to go out, and slaughter an animal because it was food. We were turning that animal into food. And I remember lagging behind my dad as we walked out to kill that animal. And I never enjoyed wanting to be there and watch that animal in its blood, in, in its death throes. Now, some of you will say, oh, that's too, too graphic. You shouldn't talk about things like that. I experienced it and I did not enjoy it. But let me tell you, that was nothing compared to the death of Jesus on the cross for you and for me. For some people, death comes quickly. David, the king, the man after God's own heart, said there is hardly a step between me and death. Romans 20 and verse 3. That's true for all of us. And I know I was young once, I remember not even really thinking all that much about death. When I did, it was because of my old parents who were in their 40s at the time and I was concerned about them dying. But I never really worried about death for me. But you know, death for some can be very swift. For others, it can be a drawn out process. Some die well, others not. For some, when they die, they are very fearful of what is going to happen to them after death. I want to go back, as I mentioned, to the, what Jesus did for us on the cross. He was nailed to it. Mark chapter 15, verses 22 through 25 and they brought him, Jesus, to the place of Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. And the reason it was like that, or called that, is either the hill was shaped like a skull and kind of looked like a skull from a distance, or it was because there were so many skulls that were scattered around there. He was brought to the place of the skull, and there they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. And they crucified two robbers with him, the one on the left, the one on the right, and one on the left. Crucifixion was very, very cruel. But before we dwell on that, I want to flip over to Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 32. And two others, who were criminals, were being led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying... He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of Jews, save yourself. Now you see, this is probably one of the only kindnesses that was offered to Jesus at this terrible time. Because that that wine that was offered to him probably had a bit of uh, an effect to, to dull the pain. But it says that Jesus Jesus did not take it. See, crucifixion was very, real, was very cruel. It wasn't like being stand, stood before a firing squad and you probably wouldn't even hear the guns go off because you'd already be dead. Crucifixion, they nailed you through, your, through here somewhere and through your feet. And if you've ever had an injury to your feet, you know how sensitive your feet are. They pounded those huge spikes through him and left him hanging there. And he, his death was a drawn out, was a drawn out process. Under the law, it said, cursed is anyone who dies on the tree. Under Roman law, because crucifixion was so terribly cruel, It was torture, and you were supposed to die that way. That's the way they wanted you to die. They wanted to torture you to death. Under Roman law, if you were a citizen, you could not be crucified. Roman law would not allow you to be be tortured like that. You see, Jesus took your curse and my curse of sin to the cross. There was a great price paid for you and for me. I want to go back to Romans chapter 5 for a moment. Verses 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless. See that? We couldn't help ourselves. We were helpless. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, I think Brother Rick Weep made a very, very important statement that we all need to try and memorize and take to heart. In spite of the meanness and the malice, God still sees something within us worth saving. Despite our own meanness, despite sometimes the hatred that comes out of us, while we were still that way and acting that way to others, Christ died for us. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and secondly, on his righteousness. In verse 9 of Romans, Much more than, not just a little bit, but much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Justified. Many years ago, someone said, and I've always remembered this, justified can be, in your mind, just as if I had never sinned. Think about that. Think about what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be as wool. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful love? Isn't that grace? Isn't that getting something that you don't deserve, that I don't deserve. But justified, just as if I had never sinned. I want you to think about a baby. And I don't want to get started on my baby great-grandson. I don't want to get started about those nice, wet baby kisses. But what a wonderful little creature he is. Just as if I had never sinned. What attracts us to a baby anyway? or to a little child. Their innocence, their purity, they are unmarred by sin. My dad, George Anderson, said, and I didn't take it too much to heart when I was young, but he said, there's something wrong with a person that doesn't love a little child. And that's true. There is something wrong with a person who doesn't love little children. When we are justified, our sins are removed, and we become God's little children. Whose child are you? Well, I normally would say the son of George and Evelyn Anderson. But when I became a Christian, I became a child of God. And that is so very, very important because your name is then recorded in the book of life. God knows you personally. And individually, and he cares for you and he loves you. And one day he wants you to spend eternity with him in heaven. Because you see, salvation is a gift. It is an individual gift from God to you. In Romans it says, for the wages of sin is death. Payday Sunday. The wages of sin is death. But listen to this but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord you see what would have been a wage would have been spiritual death it's been canceled it's been been stamped canceled and you've been freed because Jesus said for for I am the way the truth and the life and in John 3:16 And I can't quote it today. Normally, I can always quote that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. But my hope is also built on something else. My hope is built on nothing less than the God of grave victory. The God of grave victory. And the answer, of course, is Jesus Christ our Lord. That beautiful old hymn says, When he shall come with trumpet sound, O may I then in him be found. What a great thought that is. Someday that trumpet is going to sound. May we then be founded in him. Listen to what Jesus said. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places or many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This was Jesus' farewell address. This was Jesus' eulogy that he gave. Because he knew, The next morning, that that was the day that he was going to his death. His message, trust me with your death. When you face the tomb, don't be troubled. Trust me. You see, for God, the grave is a no-brainer. If you go to the mechanic and he says, Your engine needs to be overhauled. But don't worry, I can fix it. For us, you see, death is a big deal. But for God, it's nothing. Because Jesus gives us victory over the grave. And I'd like to use the example of picking up a little child and carrying that little child after they have fallen asleep, carrying that little child to their little bed, and touching them in for the night. I like to think that's what happens to the Christian at death, that we are picked up and carried to our home. <clears throat> we have a God of victory, a God that gives us victory over the grave. Most of us here who are here this morning have had, had opportunity be in graveyards. Some of us have stood beside many, many graveyards. But years ago, while I was out deer hunting, I would take occasion sometimes to wander into old, sometimes abandoned cemeteries. And I would walk around in the cemeteries and I'd look at the headstones, I'd read the names, I'd look at the dates of their birth and the dates of their death, And then in 2010, Stacey and I were down in in Nashville, Tennessee, going to the Grand Ole Opry to listen to the best music in the world, country music. I I, I may be biased there. (laughs) But when we were there, we visited Hugh and Donna Gannon, just over in Kentucky a short ways. And Hugh and Donna took us to a place where they said that this was the oldest congregation of the Churches of Christ in the United States in Kentucky. And we wandered through the cemeteries and read the names and read the dates of, of birth and the dates of death. And one thing that struck me, not just the age of these, but was the age that many of the women had died. They died young women. and So the gears got in moving and I thought they probably died in childbirth during those days because there were quite a number of them that had had passed away. But when you are in those cemeteries, have you ever thought that one day this grave is going to burst open and a dead body is going to rise and come come forth? In Acts chapter 24 and verse 15, Paul said, as he was making his defense of Christianity, he said, "...having a hope in God which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked." Now, he did not say there may be a resurrection. He said, "...there certainly will be a resurrection." Now if you go back to chapter 23 and verse 8, it says that there were Sadducees, for the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Let me tell you that there are many, many people today, if not the majority of people who are alive on the earth at this time, are Sadducees by nature. Because they believe when you're dead, you're dead all over. That you will not be raised again. Paul says it's certain, it's a fact. To use our expression, you can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. In Acts chapter 26, Paul, as he's before Festus, the Roman governor, and Agrippa, he tells them why this is going to happen. The why of it is because Jesus was resurrected from the grave. Look at Acts chapter 26, beginning in uh, verse 22. And so having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testing, testifying both to small and great stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. That Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he should be the first to proclaim light, both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. And while Paul was saying this, in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Felix, Felix, but I utter words of sober truth, for the king knows about these matters. That's King Agrippa. And I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. It was a secret. And you see, what Paul was saying here, That this is true, not only from the the New Testament, but it's true from the Old Testament. Moses and the prophets were speaking about these things. And they have now been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so it's not that people may be resurrected from the grave. It is that people will be resurrected. And I'm talking all people, both the righteous and the wicked. And everyone will receive the reward according to what they have done, whether it be good or bad. That's true. Jesus said that as well. This is all fact. As sure as you are sitting here this morning, this is fact. This will take place. You see, Festus said to Paul, he said, you're insane. You're mad. You're mentally unbalanced. You're unhinged. But Paul said, I speak words of sober truth. See, as far as resurrections, a few have already occurred. One of the very notable ones was was Lazarus. In John chapter 11, he'd been dead three days. And Jesus called him forth. His sister says, Lord, he's been dead three days, there will be a stench. Decomposition has already started. Jesus said, just believe. And with a loud voice, he says, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. He came forth from the grave bound hand and foot with the grave clothes. In Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 through 53, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. At that point, he died. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. And the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now some say that these people who were raised were raised again to live on in the flesh and live more years on this earth, as did Lazarus. Others say that they ascended to heaven. But here's the answer. The scripture doesn't say what happened to them. And we'd be amiss if we tried to read into it what actually happened to these people. They were raised from the dead. But we don't know exactly what happened with them. Because scripture does not give us the answer. But as Christians, we can sing with assurance. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood, than Jesus' righteousness, and his resurrection from the grave, which will one day give me, a Christian, A resurrection from the grave. You see, in his righteousness, I don't have to trust in my own. I don't need to trust in my pedigree being the son of George and Evelyn Anderson. It's not in my family. It's not that I have been raised in the church. But it's in his righteousness and his righteousness alone. You see, in his resurrection from the grave, it gives us a grave victory. We cannot be held by the power of death. And so, if you're not a Christian here today, consider your life. Consider your future. Consider the grave. And consider where you're going after this life is over. You see, it all comes down to choice. If there's a thousand steps between you and God, God will take every one of them except one. And that's the last step. That's where you have to decide whether you are going to accept his promises. And if you are going to be obedient from the heart and become a new creation, that's the last step. And it's the one that you have to take you see, his goal is, to not, is not to make you happy. His goal is to make you his. His goal is not to get you what you want, but to give you what you need. And so I close with these verses of Jesus from John sixteen thirty three. These things I have spoken to you, that in me, You may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. And so in this world of sorrow where we struggle, there is tribulation. But if you give your life to Christ, you will have peace.